there. Welcome back to another episode of MVP Business Podcast, where we showcase leaders who live through their mission, vision, and passion to drive growth, profits, and loyalty. I'm your host, Steph Silver, owner of Vine Collective, a unique marketing and coaching agency where we meet people where they are on their journey to connect with customers and employees and to navigate their personal journeys to overcome challenges and rise to the next level of their work, home, and spiritual lives. Today's guest is Sarah Goodman. Sarah is an organizational leader with multiple entrepreneurial ventures. Sarah leads, supports, and advises startups and mid-market on enterprises. She's also a super mom, a wife, and a great friend. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. I'm super excited to be here. Absolutely. So I've known you for a long time. I've seen you through multiple different journeys and growth sprints of your life. And I think you're an absolutely phenomenal person. I'm so excited to share you with the world and with our our listeners here. So I know a lot about you, but um, I'm sure I don't know all of it. You're going to tell us some secrets here today. <laughs> is that what this is? Is this the secret telling podcast? This is the secret telling podcast. But what I want to start with is you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be this beautiful, strong woman you are today. Well, that's that's quite the introduction. Um, I would say I, I grew up in small town Texas and um, always had a lot of, you know, Hard work, uh, never a shortage of hard work. I, I feel like that kind of typical trope, right? I, mm-hmm. I grew up in a one-horse town, right? So mm-hmm. um, it, it was actually a, a pretty interesting upbringing because my mother was a CPA and she was really the breadwinner. And I think from my lens, I didn't really appreciate kind of what was being modeled at that time. Um it was just kind of what I knew. And especially because we were, we were kind of in our own world. Um, I didn't, I didn't appreciate that. I was really seeing this very strong, you know, female breadwinners, CPA, owned her own firm, business leader. Mm -hmm. It was really kind of hindsight that kind of helped me see that. And as I was growing up, she always kind of sort of instilled that, you know, don't wait around on someone else to, grab the bull by the horns, right? So she always kind of put that, that's always been kind of my foundation. And Mm -hmm. so through school, my parents never really had to kind of push me to do well in grades or to apply to university. Like that was, I I never really remember any kind of external pressure about that. Um, And I really think I got that from the example uh, of my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely growing up in, in small town Texas, I could not wait to get to a bigger city. And so I came to Austin in 2003 uh, mm-hmm. to go to school. And it was, to me, it was the biggest city in the world. It felt like New York City. And um, I've had such an incredible journey here mm-hmm. working. And I've had so much opportunity to kind of spread my wings and I've just sort of never looked back. So what was your declared major in school? What did you study? Uh, so I started out as a chemistry um, uh, major in the natural sciences department. And by the time it was all said and done, ended up in history. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought at the time I wanted to go to law school. I was I was working as a clerk, uh, a runner at a law firm uh, here in town. And I, I enjoyed it immensely, and this is going to sound like a reflection on them, and it absolutely isn't, but I think the more that I kind of understood, you know, what I really wanted to do in the world, and the more that I worked in kind of the legal space, 
I started to kind of see um, that maybe that wasn't my future career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I finished out the history, but but ultimately ended up taking some other opportunities and not going to law school. And I'm really glad that I didn't do that. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason that I ask that is because I think that, uh, you know, as a kid, I was terrified about, oh, what am I going to do when I grow up? And then now the path that I've traveled and, and is similar to yours in that it's circuitous and kind of all over the place and a lot of wonderful experiences, but never could you have mapped that out to know where you were going to end up or be now, I should say. Yeah. And I think that, um, and I think that's one area that maybe the generation right behind us is sort of figuring out maybe a little bit faster Mm -hmm. than, than, than we did. I was very worried about like what I was going to be when I grew up and I felt like I had to make this decision. And even though I had some really powerful mentors in my life saying, you're going to be great. You're going to be fine. You're a hard worker. You're bright. You're sharp. You don't have to decide everything now. I was really, really Mm. pretty focused on making a decision and making a plan. I'm definitely a planner. Um, But I think that seeing the next generation kind of coming behind us, it it seems like from the the people in their teens and 20s that I've been working with, um, it's really interesting what I feel like has been sort of a shift in their perspective in the world Mm -hmm. and that they sort of embrace like, and maybe it's just been kind of some of the chaos of the past 10 years or so that, you know, it it feels like they have a different perspective on how they're approaching their future. And they, they're a lot more flexible about it. Whereas I think, and I don't know, maybe, maybe, you know, I know you're interviewing me, but I, I always felt like I had to have a plan or I was somehow behind, Mm -hmm. you know, that I always felt like, um, there had to be this achieve, achieve, achieve. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it feels like this other group, you know, the, the generation just behind us, they don't feel that same pressure, but you know, again, maybe that's my perspective. No, I, I think you're right. And I I've felt that same thing where I've always felt like a little bit behind. And there's, as soon as I have an idea, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have to do it now because everybody else surely knows this thing already that I've just come up with and I'm constantly striving and, I wonder in your managerial experience, um, you've worked with people from, you know, all different backgrounds and ages and industries and, and all over the place. Do you find, you know, some people have found it challenging to manage that, that generation that is, um, less planning and striving than generations before you and I, or ours, how, what's your, been your experience with that? Oh, so first off, I will say that, you know, I really enjoyed working with a wide range of people. So I've worked with everything, you know, I know you know me, but um, I wore a hard hat in oil and gas and worked with people, uh, amazing, incredible people that have spent their life out, you know, making sure that we have, you know, energy to fuel our homes and our cars and, um, but maybe don't even have a high school education or maybe have had a, a more challenging life or maybe they were in the oil field really intentionally on to working with some of the um, hottest tech companies in the world and, um, you know, people that are 19, 20 years old. And it's been really interesting. And so when we, when, when there's that kind of perception of all these kind of um, classes of worker, class of people, mm-hmm. like, for example, you know, blue collar workers from the railroad in the heartland, I met some of the hardest working, most magnificent people in the world that are doing some incredible things to keep our country and our economy moving. And, you know, this kind of idea that the the Zennials or the Zoomers or whatever you want to call them, that 
they're lazy or that they don't want to work. I found that to be a hundred percent wrong. I mean, and I think a lot of it's about your mindset. I'm a big mindset person and it's been about how do you match the strengths and what really motivates these groups and these individuals and what is it that they're trying to put out in the world and how do I get that to align with what we're collectively trying to accomplish, right? So from my perspective, finding a way for the Zoomers, the the Zennials, the whatever, right? Those of us that are elder millennials, you know, <laughs> um, whoever's just behind us, I found it to be incredibly inspiring to work with them and kind of embrace that branched future where they're not so hard set on a path mm-hmm. and to kind of lean into it. I mean, it's been, I, I, I've really enjoyed it and I found it to be really inspiring to have people that are so ready to think outside the box and so ready to be so nimble. And like, I mean, thank Thor with the pandemic, you know, you know, how do we having people that were more flexible and able to adapt and pivot? It was such a huge advantage. And I think that's why the team I was leading at the time, why they were so successful is they were ready to get it done together. They weren't necessarily really fixated on what our previous plan was. They were about what the plan was today. Uh, And I'm glad you said all of that. It reminded me that a couple of years ago, my kids got a Monopoly game. And I don't know if you know this, but there are like 20 different kinds of Monopoly games now. I was floored when the first one came out that was like credit card led and I'm like that's that sounds like not a good lesson um but now there's all sorts of different ones and there's a millennials uh monopoly and in this game you are not necessarily you're not trying to um, get the most money you're trying to get the most experiences when I first saw it I thought you've got to be kidding me what are we teaching these kids and then once I played it I'm like this is a really phenomenal lesson because it's not competing for the most dollars in your pocket. It's really living life for the experience of life. And I, I think that you're right that, that some some of the folks who've gone through and grew up with 9-11 pandemic and all these things as just an everyday part of their lives realize that um, the shifts happen and we can't control it. So we might as well flow with it. Yeah, exactly. And I like something you said in kind of the opening, right, about meeting people where they are, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're trying to meet someone in a re- in any sort of relationship, a professional, a personal relationship, and you're trying to expect, you know, a group of people or even an individual or your children or your family or your husband or your best friend, you're expecting them to meet what what your idea of where they should be is or where you think they are it's really powerful to meet people where they are Mm -hmm. to really understand what their current circumstances and what their goals are. And, um, I love that idea about the, the monopoly board and the experience because it's kind of, what is your objective? You know, if your objective is wealth attainment or you have, um, goals from a career development perspective that include the C-suite, that's awesome. And you should do that. But if your goal is to visit, you know, 100 countries before you um, are too old to travel, well, that's kind of a different trajectory. And maybe they overline in some places, but trying to understand what people's objectives are, and then meet them where they are and understand what their goals are and their experiences. And it's not all about money. I think we kind of grew up in that whole sort of, of scheme of success equaled money. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's really beautiful that 
you know, potentially the the pandemic, maybe people don't want to talk about the pandemic anymore. But again, I try to think about it as it's part of our life. And I'm trying to appreciate the good things that came out of it, which I really hope we get to keep some of the perspective about the about the world that we really learned, we had to learn very quickly. Absolutely. That reminds me of um, a good friend of mine and previous guest on this podcast, Justin Foster, recently wrote um, an article that uh, reframed the concept of the great resignation in uh, a more positive um, perspective, from a more positive perspective, um, more along the lines of the great reimagination or reorganization, um, the concept of looking into what's really important as individuals for ourselves. So maybe a lot of us were on that trajectory for a C-suite and realized that's not for me. <laughs> that's not well, what I want. And or, But why? Like, why was right. I on the path to the C-suite? Why mm-hmm. was I wanting to do those things? Is it because this organization really mirrored my values and is creating change in the world that I want to see. And thus the, the higher I am in that company, the more impact I can have towards that goal. Or was it, you know, our generation too was about, you know, we, I I got Facebook when I was in college and Mm -hmm. there was definitely kind of a new version that we all um, came to terms with in kind of keeping up with the Joneses it was keeping up with your friends on social media and, you know, the post and the Instagramming. Right. But I I think we've seen a new evolution of that. And we're all sort of considering, like, I think if you want to be the CEO of an organization that's creating technological change in the world, or you're empowering um, a, a mission and an objective that you're really passionate about, there's nothing wrong with, with targeting the C suite, but I, Somewhere along the way, and I don't know where it got off. I mean, you know, as as more people started going to college and things started changing in the internet, I think it created sort of a flywheel where it was like, okay, I've got to climb, I've got to climb, I've got to get more, more, more. And hopefully we've had some perspective in the past few years to kind of consider that in a different light. And I think that's a positive thing. Absolutely. And it's asking that question, why? Just like you said, there's, um, I recently heard the concept of, um, seven layers deep. Have you heard of this where you ask yourself why seven times? And so compounding on itself, why do I want this? Answer that question. Why, why that answer? Ask yourself again, why, 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 why? And the deeper you get, the more likely you get to the core answer. And it could be, oh my gosh, I've been doing this just because it's what my parents expected or because my grandfather did it, or it was his company and he started the farm, whatever. Or it could be because this furthers my um, connection to uh, bettering the environment or to, you know, or this C-suite allows me to have that travel that I've, you know, been wanting to, uh, you know, explore for, you know, all of my life. So asking yourself those like seven layers deep, why is really super powerful. And it doesn't have to be about big life <laughs> decisions. It could be anything like, why, why do I really want to eat these chips right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had a, I had a, um, I've been, um, and so I, I, coaching is something I know that we both had some, some separate conversations about, but I think the power of coaching and kind of a sounding board is so incredibly powerful. Um, I've had the, the privilege and the honor of working with an executive coach for about the past year and a half. And it's been 
to say game-changing for me is an, is the understatement of the year. And a lot of it is, you know, and, and when I kind of reflect on it, while it's been so incredibly valuable, and certainly it's been more than asking some of those deep questions, it has been the sounding board of, you know, having that little voice to say, and so why are we, why is that one of our goals? Like, so not only kind of the goal setting, but like, why is that a goal that we're trying to, to achieve? Why is this something that's really important? Why is this one of the top things that we want to pursue and kind of unpacking that, um, for me, a lot of the reason I was pursuing different objectives was because I, it, it was almost the vacuum of ha- not having taken the time to really understand what my core values were and what my real objectives were and what impact I wanted to leave in the world. And so I'd kind of borrowed from others. So it was a really interesting layer to kind of what you're talking about with that seven layers of why. It's when I really got down to it, it was like, well, because I'm smart and I'm capable and I have this career and there has, you know, you can't just sit still, you've got to be headed somewhere. And so in some places in my life, I'd kind of filled in um, some, some goals and some sort of expectations that they really weren't my objectives. And if I'm really honest, they weren't anyone else's either. Um, and so that was, that was very eye-opening to me when you kind of talk about like really getting to the why and this idea that we all need to be busy all the time and we've got to achieve and you, you know, you don't. Absolutely. That is, I think the single most important thing that I've learned from the pandemic is that I was running with the pack for no good reason. Um, Excuse me. And I felt like I had to constantly be running. And if I sat down, they were all going to get ahead of me. And then I would miss out on something. And what I realized when everyone was forced to sit down for a minute is that, oh, gosh, we needed a breath. We needed to drink some water and, you know, stare at the creek or, you know, sit still for a minute. And in doing so, you really do find yourself and see what, you know, you can really look back and see what you've accomplished because I never allowed myself to do that before and celebrate all those wins. But also you and I both have young kids still, yours are younger than mine. And it's really easy to just, you know, snap, snap, snap. No, you got to get ready for school. Then you got to go to work and then you go and you pick them up and it's now it's time to make dinner and bath and bed. And then you go, oh, I'm so tired. And you do it all over again. And don't take the moments to, you know, when they're being silly, I think when you're in that go, go, go mode, it's easy to get frustrated at those silly moments. Because you're exactly what you're talking about. There's this kind of constant track or this race that like nobody was benchmarking. You know what I mean? Nobody was like, you know, and, and certainly with kids, I mean, it's a balance, right? Like the, don't worry about bedtime. Okay. I'm kind of a bedtime person. Mm -hmm. I have a very strict schedule about my kid's bedtime and that's best for our sanity. But I do think that I don't, I've really thought a lot about this and I have a hard time articulating it. So I'm sorry for anyone listening to this, but um, I I sometimes wonder if it would have been possible for us to kind of have sort of an alternate reality, right? Of this being in the place that we're currently in, going through 
what we've been through and, and certainly not diminishing all of the loss and the challenge of the past two years. I know there's, I know personally several people that lost their businesses and family members, and I'm not diminishing that in any way, but collectively, internationally, we had a, a, a wake, awakening about kind of this all race and this hustle and this crazy pace that we were all on. And it's interesting to think about where we are now and so many people that have had that kind of reimagined, not just work life, but just kind of reimagined life. To me, it'd be really interesting if there was a way that I could have kept a twin of myself on kind of, you know, the original timeline. Um, but, you know, and that's kind of a fool's errand, but I, I do, I think about that a lot ab- about if I hadn't have had the opportunity to have all of that reflection and all of this experience, would I still be running that hard? Like part of me feels like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, you know, but there's no way to tell, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's interesting and it occupies more of my mind space than it should. I love that concept, kind of the um, sliding doors or butterfly effect kind of thing. And obviously the pandemic was huge and it, it's affected everything, but yes, if, if it hadn't, slowed things down would you have found this path a different way um and you know we didn't mention this but sarah recently you know changed her trajectory because of you know the goings-on of the world do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah sure so um i worked i had the privilege of working with some absolutely incredible human beings um and clients and an absolutely marvelous firm that i spent uh, the better part of 10 years uh, working with, and truly the people there became my my family, and I have nothing negative to say about them or that experience in any way. However, it was, it was one of those big why questions of, why am I doing this? I'm working so hard, and um, I, I really don't know why. I'm, I don't know what I'm pursuing. You know, I don't understand. I'm, I'm running so hard, but I don't even necessarily even know what that goal is in mind. So once I kind of took that breath, I, I have, I've, I've left, uh, my corporate, my corporate life and, um, moved out into fully. And I, I really struggle with this and maybe this is just, just women. I have a really hard time calling myself an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels like that, that coat doesn't quite fit. Um, but you've always been an entrepreneur, Sarah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I I guess that's true. I guess in my mind and in my mind's eye, when I think about a, an entrepreneur, I think about, you know, some guy in a mm-hmm. suit going on pitch meetings. And my goodness, that is not what I am doing. Um, but but yeah, I, I moved into this space where I'm really I have the privilege of helping other entrepreneurs and people working with small businesses, with profit acceleration, um, mergers and acquisitions, exit strategy, a number of pieces to really support people in these kind of purpose-driven goals. And it's been, I was telling a good friend just this morning, we were having a catch-up, that I don't feel like I'm working. Like it just, it doesn't feel like work. And I'm meeting so many incredible people and it's, it's an absolute blast uh, to help people do the I things they want to do. I love that for you. I love that for you. I want to go back to the comment you made about, um, you just mentioned being a woman 
and you know not feeling maybe it's a woman I don't feel like I'm an entrepreneur or um, you know all the the different kind of veils we put on ourselves it's interesting um, I just recently got divorced and moved out and um, I have been saying to myself my my internal dialogue has changed in a good way because I used to have the dialogue of not smart enough not good enough all that kind of stuff and um, in this new home I'm like gosh I'm so proud of you. Like, I, I didn't realize that I was hoping that other people would say these things when they came in, but you know, it's COVID, so I don't have a lot of visitors. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking around like, I'm so proud of you. And this is amazing. And you've done this all on your own. And you know, the divorce isn't actually settled yet. So, um, so I haven't gotten any, you know, cash from the whole house or any of those things. And then I thought, what if a, if a man moves out on his own, does, does he have those same feelings? Does he have that same, like, why is it so much harder? And so I'm having this internal discussion of why it's so much harder for a woman. And then I think, well, gosh, you know, all the work that goes into you know, actually being with and raising children and, and all that kind of stuff as well. But it is interesting, the world, the middle world we're in as women that we're expected and expect of ourselves to do everything that is necessary to uh, to build a successful career and and take care of our children and you know cultivate our our tribes of um, of friendship and family and you know make Christmas seem magical and all the things and yet somehow we still feel lesser yeah it's it's really interesting and my coach and I have done a lot of talking about the expectations of others the expectations of ourselves, our own limiting beliefs and the kind of talk track that can be in your own, in your own ears. And um, my coach very frequently reminds me that that negative talk track is only in, in, in my ears, you know, Um, but, but very much like you, it's how do we, I've also had a lot of that sort of positivity and kind of redirecting redirecting my trajectory and kind of looking and and celebrating those wins and understanding that I'm in a place to kind of step off this ledge and make this change because of all the work that I've done and all that I've accomplished. I'm, I'm really proud of myself and I'm really proud of what I've been able to do and I can do it, but there absolutely is that kind of voice of, well, an entrepreneur, that's, that's not me. That's not, you know, that's not who I am. And like I said, I don't know. I, I, I really, and again, this kind of operate, uh, occupies a little bit more of my mind space than I would care for it to. But um, I think about that a lot. This, this question we're having, is it my own personal experiences that have kind of created this lens for myself of, of, of what the entrepreneur is or how to describe myself or how to describe my own um, my own success, you know, to myself or, or, or to others, is it, is it bragging? You know, like I, I really struggle with kind of telling people the things that I've accomplished and I do this sort of weird diminishing thing like, oh, it's, it's not that big of a deal, you know? So I'm, it, it's a lot to unpack and we're not going to get through it today, but I think about that a lot of, of, is some of my self-image, some of the, you know, the baggage that we all have from our, from our childhood and our past relationships, or is it, is it a function of kind of some of these societal norms and the expectations of women? Um, and how much of it really is that tape that's in my own mind? And I'm kind of the only person that, that thinks that. 
I don't, I don't know the answer, but I think about it a lot. <laughs> I know you do. So tell me, uh, the last couple of years have been a challenge for everyone. Uh, I don't know a person on this planet that hasn't had I- emotional challenges, physical challenges, you know, all sorts of everything. Tell me the biggest obstacle that you feel like you have come up against or overcome in the last couple of years. Oh, gosh. I will say that uh, by and large, I I think that my obstacles have mostly been the volume of them, you know, that it was not any kind of one major thing that I had to kind of handle. It was typically when I felt the most overwhelmed, it was all of the pieces felt like they were kind of folding in at once, right? So the the role I was in at my corporate job had a lot of supply chain challenges and, you know, of course the staffing challenges. And then I was going through this kind of work, um, transition, the childcare situation. We mentioned our kids. I have two little ones. My, um, my daughter just turned five and then I've got an almost three-year-old. So kind of struggling, like all of these things would be happening and some, you know, health things going on with myself and my, um, my family it just kind of felt like it was all at the same time that um, I couldn't focus on any one problem. I never had the luxury of trying to solve a single problem at once. It was supply chain crisis, client crisis, kid crisis, mom crisis. You know, it was all the crises kind of coming in at once. And so I, I, I say that not to not answer your question, but... It's, I think it's a really important one because I think it's a lot of what women and leaders and entrepreneurs and employees are all going through is it's not that one thing. And I think that if it, I can't say it would have been easier if it would have been a divorce or if it would have been a sort of singular thing to focus on. I think the very hardest part about the past two years was I was running 10 races a day. And it's like, no matter how hard you try, I cannot drive two cars at once, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, it was having to really be really brutal about prioritization and really brutal about, you know, kind of saying no in a very abrupt way to people that maybe I've, I haven't ever said no to before. And, you know, it was sort of like, I wish I would have had this really lovely story of there was this big obstacle I had to overcome and here's the story arc and Mm -hmm. I was able to communicate boundaries and here's the life lesson. I don't know. I felt like I was in the trenches scrapping it out and it was just wave after wave and it was hindsight, right? Like at the time, I think I, you know, we have a a really lovely group of girlfriends that we both have known for a a good number of years and um, talking to the girlfriends about, I think at one point I was like, if, if I don't get childcare soon, I'm, I'm going to pull each and every one of my hairs out. Like Mm -hmm. I just can't make it another day without childcare. Right. When you're in those trenches, it feels awful. Um, But hopefully knock on wood kind of coming out of the other side of it. I start to have that track that you had of like, I am so proud of you for Mm -hmm. everything that you got through last year, a major career transition, a typhoon of pain with supply chain. The the company I was working with was very product and um, merchandise focused and 
all sorts of interpersonal relationship changes and navigating politics with family and we're still here, mm-hmm. you know, and the people that matter still have their pom-poms and they're still really excited about the things that I'm trying to do and my girls are healthy, and my friendships are healthy and my marriage survived, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so it's... um Sorry if I didn't answer your question correctly, you but it no, was, there's you know, no correct. I, I, I want to mention too, that Sarah's really good at running in a lot of races at the same time. And she's usually very organized about it. <laughs> she's it all planned out. So, um, so that's just, I think more of a testament to how many challenges and obstacles were happening at the same time and her internal desire to do them all so well and I think that's that's one of the challenges as well is when you are an achiever and a and a, a runner of life um when you can't control it it's uh it's even that much more heartbreaking so you mentioned mindset earlier yeah is there anything that you did during that time or or have worked into your life to try to keep your mindset or or rebalance that mindset? Yeah. So it's, I mean, there's a lot of people that have read this book and I feel like I'm like evangelical about it, but, um, it's, it's the book called, it's called mindset. It's by Carol Dweck. I highly recommend it to people. If you haven't read it, if you're not really into reading the whole book, the Cliff's notes is good. The audio book is great. Um, you should make it through at least the executive summary, but the, the, the big part of it is mindset is the whole point is having a growth mindset. And the idea that the way things are today isn't the way that they're going to be in the future and the way that you can approach them and the way that you can think about the trajectory that you're on in a growth way. And this isn't like a profit growth way or a grow my clients by a hundred, right? So for me, it's been a game changer to reframe the way I approach each day in situation around how is this going right now? Like what's, what's, what's kind of happening right now? How am I feeling? How's my energy? Is this kind of meeting my objectives? I've got kind of a North star document where I keep track of these are my goals and this is, you know, my core values for me personally, which it's been pretty amazing to think about having my own core values. Mm -hmm. I've always sort of, just mirrored whatever my company told me was our core values. Um, and then if it's, if it's not where I want it to be, you can change it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's extremely powerful. Um, unfortunately I got this advice over 10 years ago, probably 15 years ago now. And I wish I would have heard it. I wish I would have heard it more clearly at that time. Um, but an attorney I was working with right out of school, out of, out of college told me, Every person on this planet is one to two decisions away from a completely different life. And the person most in control, outside of some, you know, some, some geopolitical trauma, but, you know, most people, the person who is most in the power to make those one to two decisions is, is you. And I got that advice way before I was ready for it. But that's also something I think about. What is what is the life I want? And what are the what's the one or two decisions I can make today to kind of get me there? And then you don't have to think about I'm trying to be a CEO 10 years from now, right? Like, 
it makes it a lot more bite-sized and it looks a lot more manageable and it makes it a lot less I'm trying to run a marathon. I just have to make the one decision today. Absolutely. Take one step in the, in the right direction, hopefully. So what um, systems or practices or um, habits uh, have you put into place to, to try to remind yourself of that? Um, I obsessively and compulsively track my time. Um, I think time for me, my time is what had always kind of gotten out of control in the past that I'd potentially work too many hours or, you know, I'd given too much time in the wrong places. Um, so I have an app on my phone and I track everything. I track how much time I, it's like two clicks of a button and I keep track of my time. Um, and then I really keep track of kind of my energy level and sort of my happiness um, about the way that I'm spending my time. And look, everybody's got to do their taxes and they've got to do their bookkeeping. And, you know, there's there's certainly things that aren't necessarily um, bringing me joy. But, you know, it's it's a Michael Dell quote of I believe it's a Michael Dell quote. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, in order to um, if you can't measure it, you can't you can't change it. And, and my mind's very analytical. And so when I really mapped out what it was I wanted for my life, it was more time with my kids. It was more time for myself. It was more time um, reading and it was more time building the network I wanted in our community to help, to help women, to help underrepresented entrepreneurs. And if I was spending 80 hours a week at the job I was working at previously, it was just not time for that. Mm -hmm. So I sort of obsessively um, track my time and it, it helps me kind of keep, it helps me keep tabs on if my kind of people pleasing and my saying yes to things I shouldn't say yes to or things that really don't bring me joy or don't kind of align to that sort of core value set. I can kind of see it because it starts to be like, okay, this you're spent 10 hours this week on that. That's mm -hmm. not where you really want to spend your time. How can we readjust? So I don't, I don't know that I recommend that for everybody. Um, it's been really helpful for me ongoing, but I would, I would say it's a very useful exercise if you are feeling sort of overwhelmed or you feel like you might not be spending your time the way you'd like, um, track it. And it was, it was really surprising the way that I was spending my time. A lot of the things that I thought I was spending too much time on, I really wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I find that really interesting. There are some, some industries that you track your time for, you know, religiously, like an attorney or things like that, um, design them in marketing. They, it, the, the people who are billing for their time track their time, but a lot of times the C level doesn't. And, um, <clears throat> I think it would be good a good exercise even if you if you can't sustain that level of tracking that you have for a long time to do an exercise for a couple of weeks or a month to see where you're spending your time throughout your life not just in your business because um I went to a Tony Robbins um, event a couple of years ago, and he first uh, had you do this exercise of, you know, where, where, what do you value most? What do you value most in your life? And um, then after that, where do you spend your most time? And oh my gosh, they did not align at all for me as far as how much time I was spending, just like you were saying. And I spent so much time on all of these things that were not. Um, bringing me back to any of those core values or, or things that brought me joy. And, um, and, and sometimes depending on your, um, 
stage of life, sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you just have to buckle down, not just stage of life, but like what's going on in the year or your financial situation or whatever it may, may be. But, um, but when you have the privilege of being able to shift those and I think people have more of a privilege and flexibility than they give themselves the ability to control. Um, I used to think that, that there wasn't enough time to take care of myself at all and then realize that I was hurting my entire family by not doing that. And people would tell me that, but I didn't realize until I was burned out and had no energy for anything that, oh my gosh, I, I caused this. I caused this. Yeah. And, and, and look, I'll, I'll acknowledge the excessive amount of privilege that I've been, that I have enjoyed to be able to say, you know what, I think I'll just quit my job and, you know, do this other thing right now. I've certainly worked hard, but privilege has certainly been a part of it. And I think what you're saying is, is so true that your circumstance may not give you, and I'm not suggesting that if you looked at my time if you look at a week at how I spend my time, there's lots of things that I would kind of categorize as, you know, don't particularly bring me joy or, or, you know, really align with my core values, like scrubbing dishes or whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, there are things that I need to do. And, and what is important is if you truly have zero minutes of leisure time, if you really have zero minutes that you're in control I don't maybe recommend this plan for you. Maybe a a different coach or a different perspective is. But I think I was feeling really overwhelmed like you. I was burning myself out and you can't pour from an empty cup. But I was doing some other kind of unhealthy habits that when I really started checking my time, I was scrolling on social media. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, I was just so exhausted. I would scroll my phone for 30 minutes to kind of veg out. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but... That 30 minutes could have been repositioned elsewhere, you know, so I think the time tracking exercise, I, I do want to acknowledge the excessive amount of privilege mm-hmm. that, that's there, but um, it was a really useful exercise to, again, kind of match that values. What's helping me achieve what I want to achieve in this world with my time that I have here and how am I maybe not using my time or when we got down to those kind of layers of why mm-hmm. and this, you know, I, I have an issue with people pleasing and saying yes to things because I feel like I should. Um, how much of my time is really going to some of those activities? Um, and who does it benefit? And, and who does and, it benefit? Yeah. Thinking about that time, that, um, that veg time, which I think is really important for everybody. But if you're spending, you know, a little bit of, you know, 10 minutes, you know, scrolling through Facebook, okay, you need that veg time, but maybe there is a more productive way to veg out. You know, maybe you can walk in the garden or you know, just, you know, stare at your kids or read a book or, or do something that is less likely to pull on your soul in a negative way and maybe build you up or, or give you inspiration. Because I think one of the things that has um, been a, uh, a big, kind of downward weight on a lot of corporations is this concept of filling up all of your time. Yeah. And if you are constantly tracking to, uh, to make sure that you're productive during all those hours, then you can burn yourself out more quickly. Or if you're a leader and you're pushing your team members and, and your employees to track their time to be productive 
and not, you know, get to know their coworkers and, and their customers and all those kinds of things, you're going to lose those employees. You're going to lose those in team members. And you might lose the customers too, because you're not really utilizing that time to build the relationships and, and that, um, the the care that goes in those in between moments exactly and I and I think you know I want to kind of double back a little bit like with the you know when I said the you know the thirty minutes that could be repositioned it doesn't or you know or repurposed it it doesn't necessarily need to be repurposed for kind of production like that's kind of that that sort of old mindset that we have around the race and I've got to be doing something every minute of every day it it is more of that. I've only got, these are the hours that I have. This is my rest time. This is my time for myself. This is my time for my kids. These are some of the activities that, you know, the things I need to get accomplished today. For me, the the scrolling of the phone was, it was almost like a weird version of the self-medicating in the glass of wine at the end mm-hmm. of the day, right? Like it was, I just can't engage with even one more person. So I'm just going to check out and like look at my phone and it's not that I didn't, that rest or kind of the veg out time isn't, it is valuable and you have to have it and you have to have that recharge zone. But the way I was doing it wasn't necessarily what I would have said was healthy. Um, and how do you create the time that's, because I think that we've, we've intrinsically put together spending time productively and spending time that brings value right? And my coach does a lot of talking about this of what does productive mean to you? Like what does spending your time wisely mean to you? And she tries to kind of pick a part of that because even the definition of what is productive time, productive time might be sitting in a, ba- in a bubble bath, right? Productive time might be sitting quietly watching your kids play. Productive time might be 30 billable hours a week, but it's how do you set that definition and how do you do it? For me, the tracking was the first step. And it's definitely, if you're achievement minded or you're an achiever, um, it can be tempting to be like, I'm I'm wasting all of this time mm-hmm. on social media or gabbing on the phone with my friends or whatever it might be, right? But it's it's more about structuring away from the things that you're not achieving your goals and that are draining your energy and kind of draining your happiness. I know that sounds really touchy feely, but, um, I'm trying really hard not to spend too much of my time on things that don't bring me joy. And I was spending a lot of my time on like scrolling the Facebook was not bringing me joy. It was, Mm -hmm. it was an exit, an escape. It was an escape. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the time tracking as a kind of an internal and external tool that you've used. Where do you find your inspiration to, to kind of feel that, that joy, it, not just internally, but from the external world? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a year and a half into coaching. So, you know, I think if you're just thinking about getting on that journey or you're just kind of, you know, something in this conversation is inspiring you to do it, please know that this has been a year and a half of, of, of work in. Um, as part of kind of unpacking the way that I was spending my time and some of my unhappiness with that sort of race to this goal that nobody really cared about. (laughs) Um, It was definitely a scary time because I kind of got to this weird existential place of like, well, if all this stuff I've been spending all this time on is not 
really my goal and it's not really making me happy, I don't think I know what does make me happy. Mm -hmm. I don't think I know what I do enjoy. And I I think that happens a lot with with mothers and, and sorry, fathers, I can't relate to your experience, but especially those toddler years, you're, you're, it's the eating, the feeding, the sleeping, the diaper change, the bath time, the, you know, all of those different pieces. You hear this from women that they kind of lose themselves. And I think I really lost myself in um, an important and, and valuable role that I was playing at the company I was in and my motherhood, but also I had no idea what made me happy. And I had to I had to figure it out. I had to start giving myself the time and space to read books, to spend more time with my kids with, without being like, okay, I'll read you this book and then get in the bath. And, you know, um, it was a lot of work to figure out what made me happy. And it took some time and kind of understanding my energy. Um, and again, doing a lot of that exercise around core values for me personally, I love running. I love exercise. I feel a strong attachment to nature. It was one of the things that drew me to my chemistry degree, just the tremendous order of the world. I like gardening. I like building things. Um, And I love reading with my kids. And we go shop for books together and pick out the books that we're going to read. And it's so joyful. And someone else's joy might be spreadsheets or whatever, right? Whatever brings you joy. But it's been a year to truly feel like I know the activities that make me happy and that I feel really happy about the way that I've spent my time. It's been um, a process that I'm still on. Yeah. And I think that uh, you mentioned being a mom and at the particular stage of motherhood that you're in, and you're um, not planning to have any more children, is that correct? We're definitely done. <laughs> so you have two. And um, I think there's an interesting thing that happens that I've seen. I just, I'm, I always round up uh, my age and my, my kids get mad at me. They're like, you're not that age yet, but I'm, I'll be 42 this year. And over the last five years, I've seen my friends go through the same process that I'm going through. Everyone who has had kids at about the same time within the last 10 years or so goes through this shift um, with their kids and with their marriage and with themselves, trying to, like you said, like rediscover who they are because they've been so, especially if you're a working, well, I, either way, if you're a working mother or a stay-at-home mother, I think being a stay-at-home mom is far harder than a corporate job. That's my personal opinion. But um, I have seen that once the kids start to get to where they're going on overnight, um, you know, sleepovers with friends, or they they don't want you somewhere (laughs) for the first time, um, and you are kind of pulling away and and establishing a new relationship with them, you kind of wake up one day and say, oh, oh, I'm a person (laughs) by myself. Um, yes, there's these other two, you know, human beings that, that we've created and, and that we're, we're still molding and shaping, but I have to figure out who I am. And you look back at who you were before you had kids and you go, am I that? that? Yeah. No, I'm definitely not that anymore. Um, or maybe you are, maybe there's elements in there, but, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, um, 
I did this. I don't want to say that all women do, but I'm like, okay, I have a free night. I'm going to go out on a Saturday night and drink. Woo! And I'm like, whoa, nope, I'm not that woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like it's everything has changed. So where where do I find my joy now? And what do I like to read? And when, you know, when the kids don't have the TV on, I look at it like how, what I get to choose? Uh, I, I don't really know what to do with this <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, that sort of transition into kind of rediscovering yourself. And it is a little bit of this kind of hybrid, right? I, I, I think there's this kind of major shift that's happening with work and people and communication and the metaverse and like the, the way that we interact as humans has just fundamentally changed in a lot of ways, some ways, not as much, but in a lot of ways than 50 years ago, mm -hmm. right? So that's really fast change. And we talk about technology and kind of that hockey stick, that curve is getting sharper. And so we're kind of grappling with that. And we're grappling with our children, you know, kind of growing plus this, you know, whole pandemic fun. And then that kind of natural coming of age that that really isn't unique to our generation. I think mm -hmm. lots of people have turned 40 before us, and there'll be plenty to turn 40 after us. But it's kind of, again, sort of navigating all of that at once. And it's it's almost like kind of like going through your adult, you know, like when you're a kid and then you become a teenager, oh, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh, oh, I, am I going to be this person? Am I going to be, you know, it is you sort of redefine yourself again, get to have that re and you have tremendous power in that. Mm -hmm. But it's very, it can be, to me, it was sort of scary to kind of both appreciate and understand I have the opportunity to really kind of reinvent myself and to create this life of joy, but it's a, you know, that's, it can be both simple and heavy at the same time. Mm -hmm. There's a book called the middle passage that, um, once I listened to it, I listened to it again because it was so compelling and it, uh, talks about this, you know, stage of life that we all go through at different times. And sometimes it is, um, triggered by a, Sometimes it's age or a lot of times it's a, uh, a major event in your life, like a death or divorce or something like that, that um, kind of shifts you into this um, internal questioning phase. And it's what a lot of people will call midlife crisis, especially for men. <clears throat> um, but it doesn't have to be a midlife crisis. If you go into it introspectively and, and, um, and in a healthy way and just questioning, but, uh, it's interesting that for me, even going into that space, that middle passage, knowingly, like I'm looking around, I'm like, okay, I'm in it. I'm conscious. I'm consciously in this. I'm, I'm not going to mess it up. Right. And I totally did. Um, because that's life. That's how, how things happen. And like you, you know, you said a lot of things of, uh, you know, looking back now I can see that, uh, you know, what I should have done differently or, um, what it could have been handled differently, but it is an interesting human condition that we have these, passages throughout life and we think that after we turn 21 we, we you know we're done we're just you know on a forward easy path like and a fully baked cake like we're just exactly. ready you know like frost and eat it we're good and there's just so many more challenges that arise but when we realize you know that you know books like the middle passage can um can highlight for us that we're not it's not it's not just us 
individually going through this. It's not just our generation going through this. It's not just because of the pandemic. It's, um, it's something that is, um, maybe not even unique to the human condition, but we're the only ones we can talk to right now. So, right. Exactly. Exactly. So tell me a little bit about, uh, we keep talking about the pandemic. Is there anything on this, this journey that you've had from corporate life to now having your, your own gig and finding all this joy in, in work now? It's not that you're not working. You didn't quit and like buy a sailboat. Um, you, you're working. What are some of the things that you've, you thought about or that you attempted and failed or, or was there a straw that was just like, I'm done. Tell us about that process. Yeah. So I think that, um, my biggest challenge was, and you know, and like, I even had a little bit of this thought when you invited me, it's like, who, why would anyone want to hear what I have to say? You know, like I think that, and, and that's some of that sort of limiting belief. I think that was a part of it was so much of my identity had really become sort of entrenched with who I was as a professional that, um, it was really scary to think about, well, what if I put this out there and it's it's not viable, right? Like, what if I go to do this and create this own thing and do this kind of consulting and I've got this passion and what I believe I can, can do to help people and there's really a need for it and I've kind of thrown my corporate career away. And, you know, um, I think that was sort of the the fear, you know, the, the, what kind of kept me, I kept putting my toe on the line. I would think about it and I would say, okay, this is what I could do, or this is where I could bring value to people. Or, um, I was doing some volunteering with the small business administration and, um, helping, uh, entrepreneurs on a variety of, of, of asks. And I was really enjoying it, but like that was free through the SBA. It was like a volunteer activity. So, um, my biggest hurdle was actually stepping off the ledge. And I think what finally, what finally kind of did it is I was having this conversation when I first engaged with my coach, I said, well, she said, what are your goals for coaching? And I said, well, I either just need to get my current work life under control where I've got some balance or I'm going to go and do my own thing. And she said, well, those are two very different those are two very different things and you you kind of need to decide, right? Like, and so we had this whole conversation um, and we'd worked for a couple weeks and one day we're sitting there and we're kind of chatting and she just looked square at me and she said, what if you just did it and it was great? Mm -hmm. What if you went for it and it was everything you imagined it could be and you were happy and you were helping people and you were successful and you had time with your kids and you had this beautiful life. What if it was that? And I, I'm like starting to tear up and I hadn't let myself think that that was a possibility. And she said, it absolutely is, but it's never going to happen if you don't go. And that was it. I was like, she's absolutely correct. She's, she's, it could be great, but it, I am, a sh- I am, assuring myself that it won't be if I don't put, if I don't get off the line, if I don't go, if I don't leap, if I don't take this opportunity, there's a hundred, I mean, it's that whole trope, right? Of you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, Mm -hmm. but she just, 
she phrased it in such a way that it was like, if you don't try it, it's never going to happen and you need to just do it. And I have no idea why the way that she phrased it of what if it was everything you imagined it could be and all you have to do is do it. That was it. That like, I don't know what about it was the light bulb that was like, okay, that's it. I'm getting my LLC formed. This is what I'm doing. You know, Mm -hmm. that was it. I think that's beautiful. I think that's a perfect lesson of, yes, allowing the tape to run a little bit of what are the possible, you know, outcomes that may be negative, but honestly looking at what if it's perfect? What if it's exactly right? Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today and and sharing your story. Um, I wish that I could continue on and talk to you more and more and more. We'll probably, uh, we might ask you to come back another time. Is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners today? Thank you so much, Stephanie. Um, This has been wonderful. And what I'd love to share with the listeners is I am so lucky to have amazing friends and incredible entrepreneurs and leaders like you in my life. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, so what did you think of MVP Business? If you liked it, please subscribe and tell all your friends. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you didn't like it, don't just leave. Let me know what I can do to improve, who you'd like to hear from, and what you'd like to learn. The mission of MVP Business is to share the strengths and struggles of leaders who have successfully grown their businesses while staying true to their mission and vision so that other entrepreneurs can follow, knowing that the path isn't easy, but the journey's worth it. If you believe in this mission, please help by living it and sharing it. In the meantime, enjoy the day and live with passion.